We are all part of a local community, but also we're part of the world. So I think a, a big challenge for all of us is how to translate these global problems into local solutions. I am really excited about the guest we have today. Sustainability is something that we're really passionate about at Zaptic. It's something that I try and take into my life at home. And I'm really looking forward now to speaking with our guest. She is the Global Sustainability and Innovation Director at AB InBev. Carolina Garcia, welcome to the show. Thank you, Richard, for having me. I'm super excited to talk about sustainability and innovation today since it's something that we need now more than ever in this present time. So thank you for having me. Of course, anytime. I'd love to learn a little bit more about you. How did you find yourself in this role? And I'd love to hear a little bit about your background before ABM. Of course. Well, I've been working on sustainability for the last 12 years. I'm Colombian, so I was born and raised in Bogota. And I'm not sure if you're aware, but Colombia is one of the most biodiverse countries per meter squared in the world. So we're surrounded, we're gifted by nature. So of course, I grew up loving nature and wanting to protect it. And then I went to law school uh, where I got inspired by all the work that the international community was doing, trying to deliver all these international agreements to tackle climate change, to protect global biodiversity and so on. But I also fell in love with storytelling and how to spread the word. So I did a minor in journalism and actually my first job was on a media similar to the Huffington Post in Colombia called La Silla Vacía. But while I was there, I was super excited about covering all these environmental stories about deforestation, about mining, about what was going on. And then I met the World Wildlife Fund while working at this media because we were both uh, super excited uh, about this story, about declaring a Ramsar site. Ramsar is this figure to protect wetlands uh, of high importance. Fast forward, after working with them on this project, I joined their team and it was at a very special moment in time because we were heading towards the negotiations that eventually led to the adoption of the Paris Agreement and the negotiations that eventually led to the adoption of the UN SDGs. But I'm talking about more or less 2013, where all these negotiations were still at peril, right? No one even thought that a new climate agreement was going to be reached and we all needed to join forces to actually deliver on that. So I was very honored and, and grateful that I could be part of, of that process as part of the World Wildlife Fund international delegation, working very hard to get all these agreements going on. You know, NGOs play a very important role in advocacy. And then when we managed to do it and the UN SDGs were adopted and the Paris Agreement was adopted as well, I think it became pretty clear to me that without the private sector, none of it could be achieved because the private sector, it's the most important actor of the economy, right? It's like 70% of the job, 70% of the world's GDP. If you don't change corporate DNA to a sustainable one, it's impossible to tackle wicked problems like climate change. So this is why around 2016, after the Paris Agreement was adopted, I already had the hunch that I wanted to explore that, but it was something that I had never imagined for myself. I was a lawyer, had been working on journalism and in NGOs, in public policy advocacy, and never thought that I would find myself in the private sector. And then it came out, you know, serendipity, it's always beautiful, and the opportunity to join AB InBev when they had bought SAB Miller in Colombia and they were restructuring the team, they were finding new people to, to work on sustainability. And then I got the, the offer to, to join them. 
at also a very interesting time for the company because the company had merged AB InBev and SAB Miller, and they were in a moment in time where they were deciding what would be the sustainability goals. So a couple of months after I joined the company, we, we went to St. Louis, and it was in that conference where we started talking about the sustainability goals and define the sustainability goals for the company that are now due in 2025. So, well, I know that we'll talk about this uh, later on, but this is more or less the story of how I ended up joining the private sector around six years ago. I never thought that I would do so, but then fell in love with it because I've seen that the power and the transformation that we can deliver uh, working at a company with the scale and impact as AB InBev. Such a fascinating uh, history, and that must give you a really interesting vantage point on the corporation. One of the things I wanted to ask you is, a lot of times, large corporations, manufacturers especially, can be viewed as, you know, quote unquote, the bad guy. And how much do you agree with that characterization or disagree with that characterization? And do you think that's helpful? Thank you for that question. I think currently we're facing very pressing times, right? We're in the middle of the climate crisis. Uh, we are also trying to tackle biodiversity loss uh, across the world, fighting inequality. So I think uh, we're in a moment in time where dividing the world between the good guys and the bad guys, it's, it's not helpful because we all need to work together towards building a regenerative future. Of course, corporations, because, and, and as, I, as we were saying before, they have such an impact in the economy, they of course also have an impact on the environment. So that's also, if you're part of the problem, that's the reason why you can be part of the solution. And if you take, for instance, carbon, of course, a large corporation has a carbon footprint. Everyone does. We individuals also have a carbon footprint. But I think what's important right now, it's not to focus on who has the carbon footprint, but who is actually delivering on an ambitious plan to reduce that carbon footprint and help the world reach to zero net emissions before 2050, right? Because it's the role of everyone to actually deliver on the Paris Agreement vision. So for example, in the case of AB InBev, we already announced our ambitions to be zero net emissions by 2040. And this has to come with a very robust plan with milestones that make it feasible for a company our size to get there. So I think we are in a moment in time where we should focus on the solutions and where we should take accountable the organizations that are not doing anything right, but move in a constructive narrative with all the organizations that are trying to move forward in an ambitious way towards a net zero plan or towards a plan to actually address the sustainability issues that we're facing globally. Yeah, that's definitely really interesting. I can't even imagine what would be involved to take an organization like AB InBev to being carbon neutral by 2040. But thankfully, you said that you enjoy telling stories. And I'm hoping that you can tell us a little bit of a story. So how is AB InBev going to do that? And what's going to be required to make that happen? Challenge accepted. I'll tell you the story about how we're going to get to zero net emissions by 2040. The first thing, and I, I think this is important for everyone that listens to the, the podcast, is that when you talk about carbon emissions, we usually divide this in three scopes. So scope one, which is the low-hanging fruit, it's usually your operations, right? So in the case of the brewing industry, that's our breweries, right? The fuels that we're using to produce heat, for example, or to cool in the brewing process. I say that this is a low-hanging fruit because we have been working on this front for many years. Of course, it's also about cost efficiency. So the more energy efficient 
that we go, the more cost efficient that we also get, right? So we have been working on this front for many years. And right now you wouldn't expect, but this is not the place where we have the most emissions. Then we have scope two, that it's all about electricity. And in this front, we have also moved forward very fast because we have a commitment to be powered by 100% renewable electricity. And we have already contracted uh, around 83% of that electricity with renewable contracts all across the world. But then the hard part is something that we call scope three. And also when you're saying, okay, I want to see if a company is really ambitious on its climate plans, I would suggest everyone to look at the scope three, if the company is including scope three in their ambition, because scope three is the hardest because it's the value chain. And actually more than 80% of our emissions, and I would think that this is the same for any large multinational nowadays, it's found in scope three. So of course, logistics is it's a good part of it. And you would think, okay, logistics should be a big part because all the trucks moving all around the world. And of course it is, but it's only around 10% of our whole carbon footprint. And then we are uh, transitioning towards incorporating EVs all around the world. We're also testing hydrogen. So we are in a big roadmap of transitioning our fleet from a fossil fuel base to electric base. But I'll ask you, what do you think it's our biggest source of emissions? Well, you floored me when you said only 10% is from logistics, because that would have been that would have been my guess. Um, 90% heat and water and warehouses? No. So remember that heat, it's under scope one. Our biggest source of emission in the value chain, it's packaging. More than 30% mm. of our emissions comes from packaging. And this makes sense because producing glass, it's carbon intensive. This is why for us, it's so important to protect worldwide a refillable system. So throughout the world, more than 30% of our portfolio are refillable bottles, which means that we use it like more than once. We just clean them up and refill them. And for example, in Colombia, the country where I was born, beer bottle, we use it around 40 times. And this is the most sustainable packaging of all. It has on average a refillable bottle, eight times less emissions than a one-way bottle. And this is why we need to protect the countries where we have a refillable system and also work towards reincorporating a refillable system in the countries where we uh, moved towards a one-way system in the past. And also, this is why we have such a strong commitment of including 100% of recycled content in our packaging. And we're already moving towards that goal on a very ambitious way, both for glass, cans, and PET. So yeah, Packaging, which you wouldn't expect or which it wouldn't be your first top of mind answer, it's actually our largest source of emission. Would I ask you, what do you think it's our second largest? Well, I haven't got a good track record so far. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't think you'll guess it, so I'll, I'll give it a shot. <laughs> it's cooling. So we account, you know, when you go to the supermarket and you purchase a beer that it's delicious and cold, well, that beer, it's consuming a lot of energy. And we, because we're responsible for the emissions in our value chain, we're also including cooling in that scope. So actually 20% more or less of our emissions are coming from cooling technology. So right now we are already changing our coolers to coolers that are climate friendly so that they don't produce HFCs, which is a greenhouse gas. And we're far reaching that goal. But now we want to switch to super energy efficient cooling, to cooling systems that are outside the box. So and I can give you some examples that we've had with the accelerator, but 
if we can reduce significantly the energy consumption in cooling, it would be key for us to delivering the zero net vision. And then we have, of course, agriculture. So all of our like raw materials production that also has a carbon footprint. And that's mostly like the big components of our scope three emissions. So when you look at it, of course, like being powered by renewable electricity is very important and we're already on our way there. It also making our breweries energy efficient and powered by renewable heat, for example, it's very important and we're on our way there. But our biggest focus and our biggest priority is the value chain because it is there where we have our largest source of emissions. And this is why we cannot do it alone. We need to partner with our suppliers. We need to partner with innovators that are bringing new solutions to us. And this is important to highlight because getting a company as massive as ABE InBev to be zero net emissions by 2040, of course, this is an effort that ABE InBev cannot do it alone. We have to work with over 100,000 suppliers that we have across the world, right, to make this uh, achievable because this is the only way of truly transforming the value chain. But I also want to highlight that this is very inspiring to me because it's like with one company, you can also have like a positive effect with other players that will contribute uh, to make this mm. positive impact happening. So one company delivering on these goals means that many other companies, many other actors in the economy are also shifting towards a sustainable DNA. It's absolutely amazing to hear the depth from which you've analyzed the value chain. I would have thought that manufacturing logistics would be you know, the majority of a scope, but to hear you talking about refrigeration, um, bottling upstream suppliers, it's mind-boggling that scope. And you said before that you rely on innovators and you mentioned then an accelerator. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? How are you harnessing the ecosystem and what is the accelerator? Thank you. That makes me very happy because actually the accelerator, it's what fuels me with optimism every day because it's all about the reasons to believe the possibilities that building a better future are out there. So Long story short, I told you that back in 2017, we gathered all in St. Louis, people from all across the world to uh, define ABMBEF's global sustainability goals that are due by 2025. And of course, when we gathered there, we dream big. That's one of the principles of our company. And we were ambitious and we set up some goals, but then we also acknowledged we don't have all the answers. There are many things towards these goals that we still don't know how to do, right? We need to close some gaps and we cannot do it alone. Even if we are more than 100,000 employees across the world that are working relentlessly, we don't have all the answers and we need to go outside our company to search for these solutions. So this is why in 2018, when we launched our goals, we also launched an accelerator program called the 100 Plus Accelerator. And uh, for those that are listening, I would suggest that you follow us in our social media. We have a YouTube, an Instagram, a LinkedIn account where we are always telling our great stories. But in a nutshell, uh, we open up um, this accelerator to partner with startups all across the world that were solving pressing sustainability challenges. So, for example, the startup that had the alternative material to single-use plastic that we could test with or the startup that was doing a cost-efficient way of producing renewable heat we want to partner with or the startup that can refurbish the truck and change it from diesel to EV. We want to partner with them. So startups that already had these solutions, we selected them and we gave them each up to $100,000 to implement a pilot within our value chain. So this was amazing for the startups because, as you know, the hardest thing for a startup is to 
actually get these clients to work with these multinationals. There are many barriers to enter. And then we would partner them up with a team locally so they could test their solutions in our value chain. And of course, if successful, we would help them grow and scale at a pace that they had never imagined. This program also comes with a lot of complementary training. So we partner with TED to help them train them in public speaking. We partner with the Black Swan Group to help them become great negotiators. We train them in marketing with our agencies. We train them in leadership with Leaders Quest. So we have great partnerships to make them like shine and become even better in all the business aspects. But the focus of the program, it's on the pilot. Because at the end of the day, we want to test these solutions. We know that there are good solutions out there. We want to test them. And then if they're successful, we want to scale them and use the scale of our company to help these startups grow. But, and the most exciting thing about this is that we never wanted to do this on our own. Because as I mentioned, and I cannot emphasize this enough, no one organization in the world can solve this on our own. And we're in a moment in time that we need to focus on radical collaboration. So this is why in 2021, we were very lucky because the Coca-Cola company Colgate Palmolive and Unilever joined us. So now it's not only AB InBev, it's four of the largest companies in the world that are basically in every market and in every household in the world joining forces to boost innovation through collaboration. And for me, that's very inspiring because we are leaving aside our competition and we're working together towards a greater goal that is sustainability. And at the end, if a solution provided by one of these startups works for AB InBev, it should work for the other partners and not only us, for the industry as a whole. And that's what we're trying to do. We're partnering to transform corporate value chains because, and as we were discussing at the beginning, we know that if we have an impact, we can also be part of the solution. Wow, it's, it's motivational for you. It's motivational for me just listening to you. That's, that's incredible. In fact, these large corporations are collaborating, some of them competitive, but putting that to one side to actually deliver value, that, that's absolutely amazing. Let's talk a little bit about AB InBev as well. So you're currently over 100,000 employees, I believe, um, maybe more like 150,000. It's a massive organization. How do you go about changing the hearts and minds of over 150,000 people across your organization? It has been an interesting journey. And I'll tell you a little bit about the evolution that we've had since I joined the company six years ago, because I think it has been very, it has been a very successful journey. So when I joined the company six years ago, sustainability was still more on the corporate affairs function, still very tied to what has been traditionally corporate social responsibility. And of course, this was great. It was having an impact, but it wasn't that embedded within the core of the organization. And then when we launched the Global Sustainability Goals, the ownership or the lead for sustainability changed into the procurement and sustainability. And I think that this was a brilliant move because the chief procurement officer became the chief procurement and sustainability officer and so on. Everyone working on procurement on the organization ended up having a sustainability in their titles and also not only the titles, but ended up having sustainability targets. And I think this is very important because procurement at the end of the day, procurement and, and supply are the functions that are so deeply connected with the value chain. You cannot achieve 100% renewable electricity if you don't have your electricity buyers thinking that renewables is the way to go. You cannot have 100% recycled content in your packaging if your packaging procurement team is not working towards that with our suppliers. So for us, this was a very strategic move. After that, like 
it was amazing for us to see the evolution of the company and how like non-usual suspects were becoming sustainability champions were the one leading these initiatives. And of course, that people that were having an actual decision-making in the value chain uh, were having a specific sustainability targets. So this was a first uh, move to actually change the hearts and minds, as, as you were saying. Then AB InBev has also a very interesting dynamic of target setting and cascading. So every year we have uh, some targets. So everyone in the company has specific targets, but many of these targets are shared cross-functionally and also globally uh, at a global zone and, and, and local level, which is amazing because it also makes the people focus on key priorities and also to work as a team because you have to deliver common targets, right? That are a priority for the organization. And of course, these sustainability targets um, made that people cross-functionally started to work together towards reaching these goals and that also changed the hearts and minds. And then we had a new iteration. So last year we had a new uh, CEO, Michel Ducatis. He began his role in July like last year. And one of his first moves was to also appoint a chief sustainability officer, Esgi Barcinas. And after we had made this uh, amazing change with procurement, we also had a third iteration that it's now working even more closely with other functions. So first of all, since last year, uh, we now have a chief sustainability officer, Esgi Barcinas, an amazing and inspiring leader uh, leading our uh, sustainability agenda. And one of the great achievements that we have done over the last couple of years is to start also cascading these sustainability goals, not only to procurement and supply that were usually, like as I said, the key functions that were helping us deliver that, but also to other functions like finance. You wouldn't imagine, but right now our chief financial officer is one of our main sustainability champions in the company. So I think that making sustainability mainstream, that everyone understands that they have a role to play in delivering the sustainability goals is pivotal to change the hearts and minds. Because sustainability cannot be the responsibility of a sustainability manager only, right? In order for the company to change, everyone has to work towards this. And this is only achieved when people, in every decision that they're making, they have sustainability ingrained. We all have the, the PNL ingrained, right? Like you're always trying to uh, bring um, opportunities that make business sense. So that's already ingrained in the mindset of everyone. Now, the biggest challenge right now is to have sustainability ingrained in every decision making. And that only happens when everyone feels that they are part of the solution. So I think that involving uh, effectively all the functions with the, within the organization is definitely the key uh, towards doing that. And that, that you can do with um, target sharing, but also inspiring people. Interesting to hear how your leadership was one of the first considerations. And it seems like that's used as a way of signaling to the organization that, yes, this is important. And yes, this is something we, we want to work on. It's also something that signals to the outside of the organization as well. So bringing it back to you know smashing the myth of the large corporations being the bad guys, I think a lot of people think shareholders you know, only really care about profit and loss. But actually, from my experience, that's not the case at all. I'd love to hear about how how you've managed AB InBev shareholders and what their expectations are when it comes to sustainability. I think that the situation right now is the other way around. I think shareholders in many corporations are actually demanding a more ambitious sustainability agenda, are asking actively about the sustainability strategy. They're doing the, 
the challenging questions. So in the case of, of ABM, it has not only been the leadership within the organization, but also having very active shareholders that care deeply about this. Because at the end of the day, if you think of beer, beer is made of natural ingredients. Beer is local, it's natural, and it's inclusive. And you cannot have beer without a thriving environment and without thriving communities. So if we are to build a company that lasts for the next 100 years, we need to take sustainability seriously. So I think our shareholders know this. Also, many of them have been brewing for hundreds of years. If you think of our brands, they have been for many years. Only Stella Artois, Stella Artois. And, and I love this story because Stella Artois has been a brand within that company since 1366. Imagine that. A heritage of hundreds of years. If this company wants to continue with that heritage, sustainability has to be in the hearts and minds, not only of the employees, but also on the shareholders. So I think it has been both the leadership, the employees, but also the shareholders pushing uh, this agenda. And that's why in six years time, I have fallen in love with the company because I've seen how we've changed so much and, and our ambition has grown so much. And it, this is just like a, a domino effect. It keeps on improving our, our way forward. That's amazing. It's really inspirational to hear. I'd love to ask you about something you know, outside of ABM, but if I may, um, I saw that you were also a co-founder of Still New. You know, would you be able to tell us a little bit more about what that is and why you're so passionate about it? Yes, of course. So I was very inspired by the startups I work with. They are all amazing and they're bringing so many solutions for their community. So during the pandemic, I also wanted to do something for, for the community I'm, I'm part of. And with a friend, we, we decided to, to launch a, a startup in Colombia called Still New, that it's a sustainable fashion circular startup. And what we do is that we sell secondhand clothing and also like different objects that are used by children, like from zero to 12 years old, more or less. Because, you know, I don't know if you have children, but they grow so fast that the clothing like ends up perfectly. And the clothing industry, it's also very pollutant and has a very big impact. So we wanted to like incentivize the secondhand market in Colombia. But the interesting thing is that uh, we decided that all the profits of selling the secondhand clothing would go to six foundations. So this way we're tackling two problems. On the one hand, we're trying to reduce the impact of purchasing and purchasing clothing, right? By extending the lifespan of every cloth. Uh, we're also trying to incentivize people to donate, uh, to buy, reused, and have a more sustainable lifestyle. But then we're also helping the foundations that are tackling different things. So we, we work with six foundations. One of them is working uh, with migrant children coming from Venezuela. The other one is tackling on protecting the Amazon rainforest. The other one is working with uh, children that have been diagnosed with cancer, you know, so they have like different uh, missions. But Foundations that are doing this amazing job on the field, they always struggle uh, with getting a constant income every month. So with Still New, we are donating all of the profits to help them get like an extra income for their purpose. So uh, it has been an amazing journey so far. We we launched this during the pandemic and we have been uh, going on for, for two years now. And, and for me, it has been such an inspiring journey to understand what the entrepreneurship journey looks like, because one thing is from that corporate perspective, but then it's also a different story when you're launching it on your own, but also to be able to, to create that impact in the community. And, and one of the most inspiring things for me is to see like 
when you have like a purpose driven organization and you have transparency because we always like say, okay, we managed to get these this month and we donated these to the foundations and and you disclose this to the people. So many new doors open and so many people want to become part of like a movement, right? They they want to become part of the still new family. So it has been a, it has been a great journey to do that as part of my side job, if that makes sense. And something that we're really passionate about as Aptic is your frontline workers and the role that workers have within an organization. What do workers need to do and how can workers contribute to the overall objectives of AB InBev, but also, you know, the listeners of this podcast, you know, whichever organization they're in, how can they support this? They are a crucial part of the sustainability strategy. And as I was mentioning before, it's very important that when we are changing the hearts and minds of the organization, that every worker feels empowered and know that they are part of the solution. So for instance, and and you were talking about logistics and something that has been amazing for us to see is like when we actually change, start changing the fleet from a diesel truck to an electric truck, like the new driver, you know, like the driver that was now changing and now it's driving an EV, how proud he is or she is to drive an EV, to be part of this like technological revolution for the company. And that's a very important role to play. And I and I love this example because I think that these are the type of stories that we also need to tell because, of course, great decisions and the leadership, it's important. But at the end of the day, the ones that are delivering all these set of ambitions are the day-to-day uh, workers. And, and the truck example, it's a very simple one, but everyone has a, a role to play. You know, something that comes to mind in listening to you talk today is community, you know, from the local community and helping sort of share items and give, give clothes a second chance. But then right up to the global community, helping you know, massive organizations uh, work collaboratively on some of the biggest problems for mankind. It's been so inspiring. I think listening to you today, I'm more optimistic than I have been for a long time about you know, what the future holds. So thank you for that. And thanks so much for coming on the show. And thank you for inviting us. We are all part of a local community, but also we're part of the world. So I think a, a big challenge for all of us is how to translate these global problems into local solutions uh, and so on. So it has also been great for me to talk with you and thank you for having us. And I hope that we can continue this conversation. And again, I invite all of you to be part of the 100 plus accelerator family to join us because it is only together that we can actually change the world. Completely agree. We'll put the links in the show notes for anybody who wants to find out more. Wow, what a fascinating conversation today. And you know, sustainability is something that we're really passionate about. In this year, Zaptic actually became carbon negative as a business, which we're really proud of. But also, you know, we're a software company, and that's much easier to do than one of the largest beer producers in the world. Can't begin to imagine the complexities involved in such an operation, but it's great that you know, Carolina is so positive and forward thinking about that. If you enjoyed this, we've got many more conversations past and future, so please like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.